Well, hey there, my name is Eric Gray, and I'm the Young Adult and Family Minister here at the Regency Church of Christ. I just want to take a minute and say thank you for checking out this message. If you're ever in the Mobile area, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. And to find out more information about Regency or to listen to other messages from this series, we'd love for you to check out our website at regencycc.org. And we're praying that this message will help you grow closer to Jesus. Past week, many students and teachers went back to school. And so I've been teaching for the past few years at Mobile Christian School, teaching a couple Bible classes each day. And every year when we start off the school year, I do an illustration with the students. I teach middle school kids. And the illustration involves this. Now this is a baby spoon. I don't really have any babies in my house any longer, but the illustration is still something that applies. And so I asked the students in class to tell me what this is. And then I asked them to demonstrate, well, how do you use a baby spoon? And so some answers are, well, you just, you have to shove it in their mouth. But most people realize with a baby spoon, you have to feed a baby and you have to be creative in the way that you do it. And so maybe you do airplane noises or a choo-choo train. I'm not going to do these for you right now. And so we talk about this and talk about who needs to use a baby spoon. Well, it's babies that need to use it. And then I talk about, okay, let's say my daughter, Emma Jane, let's say she's old enough now to go on a date. So she's 30. I'm just kidding. She's, you know, in her high school age. And so she's about to go on her first date and the young man comes to pick her up and I meet them at the door and they get in the car and they head to a restaurant. In the class, I always ask them, okay, what restaurant are they gonna go to? And it seems like every time they always say Olive Garden. That must be a date spot that they have in mind. They do have delicious breadsticks. So they end up at Olive Garden and the two of them are sitting down at a booth. And let's say that I show up on the date and I go and I slide into the seat next to Emma Jane and the food comes out. And all of a sudden during the meal, I pull out a baby spoon and I start feeding my daughter while she's on a date with the baby spoon and I'm doing airplane noises, I'm doing the choo-choo train sound. So I asked the students in class, I said, would this be weird if I do this? And the middle school students are always like, yes, it'd be so weird if you do that. And then I asked them, why would that be weird? And almost always they come up with this response. They say, well, she's old enough to feed herself. And the point that I try to make with the students with this is that it's okay to be fed with a baby spoon when you're a baby, but at some point you become old enough where you're responsible for feeding yourself. And the way that I use this in the Bible class is that, listen, uh, for years they've grown up having been fed the truth from the Bible, maybe from parents or at church, and maybe it's had to have been done in an entertaining way in order for them to take it, but now they're coming to an age where they need to decide, okay, am I old enough to feed myself? I'm going to study the Word of God. I'm going to get into Scripture and learn what this really is all about and what this means to me. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking in this sermon series about three questions that everybody has about God. And these are important questions that all of us need to reflect on. All of us need to find the answers to ourselves. And so we're going to be looking at questions like, is a relationship with God worth it? Does God have a plan for my life? And this morning, I want us to look at the question of, who is God? That question, I think, is an important question at a time like this. And I think there are many layers to that question of who is God. Not only who is God, but with everything happening in the world around us, we might be asking ourselves, where is God? The world that we live in today is an on-demand world. 
when I was a kid growing up, if I wanted to watch a certain television show, I would have to make sure that I was in front of the TV at the time that it came on or else I missed it. My, my dad tells us a story about growing up as a kid and he never really got to see The Wizard of Oz for a really long time because The Wizard of Oz only came on television on Sunday nights and his family was always at church on Sunday night. It wasn't until he was sick one Sunday that he got to stay home and watch The Wizard of Oz finally. We live in an on-demand world. Today, it's not really like that. If you want to watch a TV show, you can just pull it up on your phone. If you want to order some food, you can pull up an app and have it delivered to your house. Anything that you want, you can demand it, and it shows up at your doorstep. We live in an on-demand world, and because of that, I think, in some ways, people today expect an on-demand God. And so when it feels like God isn't there, when it feels like God maybe isn't showing up in the way that we want him to, some conclude that, well, God isn't real, God isn't powerful, God isn't good, or God doesn't care. A few years ago, I was going on a trip, and we were going to stop and stay the night at my parents' house. And it was just me going, but we decided kind of last minute to have one of my kids go with me on the trip. It was one of my sons who was much younger at the time, and so I ventured out on this journey with my young son, and so packed up and ready to go. And on the way there, we end up stopping at a gas station. And at the gas station, I decided to buy my son a treat, and I buy him a bag of M&Ms. And as we continue on the trip, he starts eating these M&Ms. Well, after a while, he eats all of them, and they're all gone. Well, he's not finished with them. And so he starts crying out for more M&Ms. I want M&Ms. I want more. And I keep telling him while driving, I'm kind of swinging behind me. I was like, I don't have any more M&Ms. You're going to have to stop. I'm driving. There's nothing I can do about it. Well, he keeps up at this for a while, and I'm still trying to reason with him. And finally, instead of screaming for M&Ms, he starts screaming for someone else. And he starts screaming for his mom. He says, I want mom. I want my mommy. And I'm thinking to myself, I want her too. I wish she was here. And he just keeps screaming for his mom. And in that moment, I'm thinking to myself a couple things. One, why did I do this? And the second thing I'm thinking is, man, does he really want his mom? And the answer is, in that moment, not really. He's not really wanting his mom. He's wanting actually what he thinks that his mom can give him. Sometimes this is how we treat who God is. We treat God like someone who is on demand and we ask him for things and we expect him to give it to us. And if he doesn't, we are so upset and frustrated that God didn't do what I demanded of him. You see, this is not how God works. The on-demand God doesn't actually exist. God doesn't exist to serve us. We exist to serve him. And so the question of who is God, well, God is not a genie in the sky who grants wishes. God is not some cosmic vending machine and we press in the buttons of what we want and we expect for that to happen and if we don't get it, we're upset. And so if God is not an on-demand God, well, who is he? And so what I would like for us to do for a few minutes this morning is in figuring out who God is, think about the character and the nature of God. First thing is this, God is always loving. God's heart is always loving. As a parent, there is never a time that you don't love your children. Now, there are times where you don't love what they're doing. There are times where maybe you don't like how they're acting. But we always love our kids. Now, there are other times where our kids want us to do something. And maybe we choose that we are not going to do that. And they get upset about it. Like, let's say, for instance, your kid didn't do their homework. And so we decide, well, I'm not going to bail you out this time. I'm not going to do it for you. And rather than do it for them, Instead, we are developing something within them. We are showing them love by not giving them what they want. 
In Romans 8:35, Paul says, "Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword?" Now, chances are you're never going to have a sword pointed at you. But this question of what shall separate us from the love of Christ, it might have different answers for us today. Maybe it's financial trouble. Maybe it's unemployment. Maybe it's cancer or an illness. Maybe a relationship breakdown. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's being in the middle of a pandemic. That might feel like something that separates us from the love of Christ. But Paul continues in verse 37, and he says this. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, there's a couple parts to this passage that I want to point out. The first is this, the part where it says that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It is through a God that is always loving and that we can conquer anything that comes along our way. And the second thing I want to point out is in verse 39, where after all of this list of all of these things that could potentially separate us, Paul says and reminds us that none of these things can separate us from the love of God. This love of God that's found in Christ Jesus our Lord. God doesn't prove his love for us when he answers our prayers. God doesn't prove his love for us when he gives into our demands. God proved his love for us when he sent his son to the cross. The second thing about who God is, is God's ways are always higher. There's so many things, so many things that are hard to explain. And so oftentimes when we don't have an answer or we can't explain what's going on, we tend to decide, well, I'm going to blame God because what else can I do? This illness has come up, this disappointment in my life, this broken heart that I have, this thing that we're in the middle of and we can't explain it. And so we decide my option here is I'm going to blame God for what's going on. And Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I love these verses. I love to remember that God's thoughts, plans, ways, his methods and strategies are infinitely higher and greater than my own. They are better in every way. They take me by surprise. They go where I could never have dreamed. They are accomplished in ways that surpass any and all expectations that I've ever had. And this is wonderful. And it's wonderful because what kind of God would God be if we could wrap our minds around him in his ways? What kind of God would God be if we could predict where he would go and how he would get there? What kind of God would God be if he worked out of the same small and limited view of the world in history that we do? I'll tell you what kind of God he would be. He would be small. He would be like us. He could be rivaled. He could be called into question, and it would be right to doubt him. But he is none of those things. He is infinitely big, working from a vantage point and perspective we can't even comprehend, with power to execute his plan so great that no one can prevent his will for even a millisecond. The gap that exists between his perspective and his plane of thought and ours is too big for words to capture. And in God's unending wisdom, knowledge, and power, he understands all of eternity from beginning to end. The outcome is God's job. Obedience 
is our job. God's presence, this is the third thing here about who God is, God's presence is always enough. In Psalm 23, verse 4, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. There's this certain type of art, and I'll be honest, I'm not big into art, but I was reading an article about this type of art called reverspective. And it's really just two words that are blended together. It's these two words, reverse perspective. And from a distance, these types of art, they look like a normal painting, but when you come closer, you realize that they're not normal at all. And this artwork, what it is, is an optical illusion on a three-dimensional surface where the parts of the picture which seem farthest away are actually physically the nearest. And so in our lives, we all go through periods when God seems distant. But just like this reverse perspective work of art, the times when God seems the furthest away are the times that he is actually drawing the closest. And so for us, we shouldn't allow this spiritual illusion of reverspective to blind you to God's presence and care for you. We've got to look closer. We've got to change the angle that we're looking at it. Because what we'll find is actually that God is right there. Throughout scripture, the reminder that God's presence is with us, even when our perspective, it may feel like he's pretty far away. We see it throughout scripture. In Psalm 42, verse 3, the psalmist writes, My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? For us, we need to resist this urge to draw further away from God in times like that. In James chapter 4, verse 8, we're told by James, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. When the people of God are about to go through a major transition of leadership and location, it would have been easy for them to get lost and caught up in the moment and lose sight of God's presence. And so as Moses is passing leadership over to Joshua, he gives this final speech and challenge to Joshua in front of the people of Israel. And he tells them to be strong. He tells them to be courageous. But he reminds Joshua of something else extremely important. He reminds him that he isn't facing the important future and task alone. He reminds him that God's presence is with them. And in Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 30, chapter 31 verse 8, it says, "The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged." I think we're getting that same challenge today. This idea of God's presence is with us, even in the middle of a pandemic. God didn't do what I wanted. When we think about that, it can be frustrating. When we think about God not giving in to our demands, we also need to realize that this on-demand God doesn't actually exist. And so people might think, well, you mean your God doesn't do everything that you want when you want it? Well, no. My God, who is he? Who is the God that we believe in? Well, our God is way too powerful, too wise, too magnificent and good to be a puppet to men. Our God is the supreme creator, sustainer, and Lord of all. Who is God? Well, let me tell you who God is. God is always loving. His ways are always higher. And his presence is always enough.